you're listening to the Who Are You Really podcast. A podcast that features interviews with the captivating people we've met. Liv and I have learned that everybody has a story. Whether it surprises you, shocks you, or resonates with you, stories have a way of connecting us, offering new perspectives, and acting as a reminder that we're not in this alone. And there's nothing we love more than bridging people together in our little big planet. We'll get vulnerable, raw, and real with our guests from all over the world. I'm your host, Lydia Clemensovich. And I'm your host, Olivia Poglianich. Welcome to our safe space. No judgment, no egos, all the feels and all the fun. So pull up a seat, get cozy, and let's dig a little deeper together. So today on the podcast, we have the lovely, the thoughtful, the empathetic, and intelligent Krista Aoki, a friend that I met during my digital nomad journey in Southeast Asia. We originally met actually at a co-working space in Thailand through mutual friends, but we really didn't get to know each other until months later that we just so happened to cross paths in Osaka, Japan. As is the way of the travel life, you're just always meeting back up with people. And it led to some beautiful days of getting to know Krista more, exploring Osaka with her, but really just diving deep into so many conversations about our lives, our perspectives, and our experiences. And I really got to learn more about Krista as a human being, which is why we had her on our podcast. Yeah, Krista's really cool. She's super self-aware, worldly, friendly. Uh, I've never met anyone from Guam before, so it was really interesting to hear her Pacific perspective on things. Um, And she was definitely willing to go deep and be vulnerable with us, talking about self-care and going from being, you know, a digital nomad to this sort of stagnant life that the pandemic has thrust upon us, coming up with some new like constructive hobbies for this year from running and meditating. And we are both currently reading the same book, which was really funny. And yeah, she um, she definitely explained a lot of really interesting things and touched on really um, profound topics that got Lynn and I thinking and talking right after the pod for quite a while. Yeah, so mostly what we talked about with Krista was her addictions and she'll get into it and we'll get into it in this episode. So many experiences that human beings go through are, you know, they're not necessarily this polarity between extreme and zero and that it it can be very nuanced and very unique to each individual. So, you know, she brings us in in her, her experiences with her addictions to three different things, which you'll find out about. And it's, it's her experience and hers only. Yeah, so definitely stay tuned. And this should be a really great introspective episode with a really cool kindred spirit. So stay tuned and enjoy. Okay, so today on the podcast, we have the lovely and wonderful Krista Aoki, a wonderful friend of mine who I met while traveling and doing the whole digital nomad thing. And we're so excited to have you, Krista. Welcome to the podcast. 
Yeah, welcome, Thank Krista. You. Are you are you related to Steve Aoki by any chance? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, ladies. We do actually have a Steve Aoki in our family, but he's a firefighter, oh. <laughs> not a DJ. Um, yeah. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> actually, a few years ago, I worked in a law office in Los Angeles, and. Um, that was how I would win brownie points with the lawyers was telling them that I was related to Steve Oki. Yeah. Oh, I imagine the lawyers by day and the, the ravers by night. Yes. <laughs> Super cool. Krista, you're calling us from Vietnam today? Yeah, yeah. So I am in central Vietnam. I'm actually at a co-working space that Lydia recommended to me called Hapoyan. And it's, yeah, just like this been a really nice community to be involved with and it's in the middle of the rice fields I just had something delivered to me and <laughs> um, the guy was just talking about how nice the view is as well it's super cute. Hoyan <laughs> is um like the whole city is a UNESCO heritage site right? Yeah yeah so even um, the rice fields in front of this co-working office are going to be here for at least like 20 or 30 years by some kind of law that they can't be built on. Hapoyan is so special. It's such a twist of events that you're there and you have been in this community for like refresh our memory, Krista, because I know you went to Vietnam before the pandemic hit. So how long have you been there now? Yeah, so I've been in Vietnam for almost a year and I've been at Hapoyan. Wow maybe five months or less than that. I came before like Vietnam's second stay-at-home lockdown order. So you guys, are you not allowed to leave Vietnam right now or? I'm allowed to leave Vietnam, but if I do, I probably won't be able to get back in. Oh. They've done a really great job of um, responding to COVID because they've dealt with the SARS pandemic before. Yeah, Krista, I remember reading an article you wrote on Medium a while back about the differences that you noticed between Vietnam's response and America's response. And it was so in-depth and interesting. I think it's one of the best comparisons I read, especially at the beginning of the pandemic. So like, that's interesting to hear that they're still you know, responding very diligently. And like, it seems like you like would want to come back to Vietnam. Like there's some sort of like attachment almost. Is that true? Yeah, I have fallen in love with Vietnam in a way that I didn't expect to this year. Yeah, it's just, it's been amazing. I felt I started trail running and trail running through the mountains and it's been a really nice experience. In addition to just making myself at home and connecting with like local people, with the ex-foreigner community, and um, yeah, just making myself at home. I have been able to do that because of the way Vietnam handles handled their pandemic response. Like we basically live a normal life and don't have to worry about things like social distancing because if, if there are cases that are spread, then um, we do have to stay at home and be locked down. Um, and Not here. <laughs> we should, yes, yeah. but... <laughs> yeah, and so I feel like to, to leave Vietnam, it would be like 
kind of giving up this life. And it, I think that everyone has had to do this this year is to look at two options and decide, okay, what's most important to me? So See, I find that so, you're so right. And it's really interesting because obviously all of us consider considered maybe ourselves to be digital nomads. And I think one of the essences of that is just this wandering soul that doesn't tether to one place. Do you feel like that perspective has shifted this year um, instead of like, I don't know, using the word trapped to describe the idea of like, oh no, if I leave, I can't come back. Have you had like a reframe in how you view this like wandering kind of life? Yeah, but uh, so the way that I've reframed it is instead of exploring the world or instead of going back home, I'm trying to find those things here. So I've started traveling within Vietnam a little bit more and seeing more than I would have. Um, I made my first trip up to the north of Vietnam a few weeks ago. I'm also trying to create family here and really put myself in these positions where it's, I guess, um, normally I would be in a place for three months and I'd have a good time with people um, and then we would go on our separate ways, maybe cross paths. Um, but now everyone is here and we're here for the long run and we're making a family out of it. And I'm doing my best to create what I would normally be looking for here. What are some of those things you'd normally be looking for? Definitely family. Um, also to be in nature. Um, just um, good environment, chill life, um, and of course, like good coffee. <laughs> That's an important factor. Yeah, yes. Vietnamese <laughs> coffee is the best. So sweet. Oh, I it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so what out of all of your time so far in Vietnam, Krista, besides falling more in love with Vietnam than you thought you would? What has been the biggest surprise that you've had in the last several months and why would that be? I think that one of the biggest surprises to me would be the people. For example, um, the different kinds of Vietnamese people and the different entrepreneurial mindsets that they have. I really, so I know that I haven't been to Saigon or Ho Chi Minh City in the South, but I know it's like kind of like a more businessy district. And then um, I just went to Hanoi a, a couple months ago and it's not as, I guess like businessy, but it's still got this like hustle to it. And there's, and everyone in Vietnam seems to have a very entrepreneurial mindset. I mean, like Vietnamese digital nomads and they just, they have this way of thinking that that's very surprising and admirable and unexpected. I spend a lot of time in Thailand as well. And I think that a lot of the young Vietnamese entrepreneurs who I meet are super, super savvy and like really surprisingly um, transitioning into like this digital age and yeah. I think that's been one of the most surprising things for me. It's funny you bring that up because I remember meeting this girl um, when I was living in Bali last year who's actually a Vietnamese digital nomad, and she created a cartoon comic called Digital Nomad Problems that's gone viral, and she's so cute. We never met in real life, but I'm sure she's like an example of one of the many kinds of people you've been meeting. Do you know what comic I'm talking about? 
Yeah, yeah, very nomad problems. Right? Very nomad problems. Yeah, exactly. So we commissioned her to do some specific to our co-working space in Bali, which were really a lot of fun to co-create with her. Um, super oh, that's awesome. so cool. Yeah, yeah. Those Did you have so a chance to meet funny. her? She's like a celebrity in the community. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually, I met her in Chiang Mai and I, yeah, that's so cool. That small you, world. You her up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is a small community. <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, Lid was telling me you've actually had a chance to live in a ton of different places um, or really interesting intersection. Like you're from Guam originally, is that correct? Very, very yeah, cool. yeah. I'm from the American territory of Guam. Yeah. I've never met anyone from Guam before. <laughs> yeah, there's there's not many of us, I think. And a lot of the a lot of the community are well, a lot of the community are from the military and so there are three US military bases on the island and then my mom is from the Philippines and there are a lot of Filipino um, foreigners on the island. Um, so I kind of stem from one of them. And then, of course, there's the indigenous Chamorro community. But yeah, it's, uh, it's a really cross-cultural cool cross section, I think, right? Like, I guess, do you have some of the, the native identity as well? Or No, I don't. Okay. All so you're Filipina <laughs> and American. And what what's someone from Guam called? Gua, Guamese? I don't actually know. Uh, Guamanian, yeah. Guamanian. Very cool. Uh -huh. And where else have you had a chance to live? Okay, yes, so all over. Yeah, it's really funny. I, when people ask me like where I'm from or where I've lived, I'm like, okay, how, how much time do I have to answer this question? Um, but so I was born in, <laughs> yeah, so I was um, born and raised on Guam, and then um, in 2002, a typhoon hit. And my mom was basically like, okay, we're like, I'm moving to the U.S. Are you coming with me? <laughs> so our family moved over to the U.S. where we lived in Hawaii, Colorado, and Tennessee while my parents were just trying to find out where the perfect place to chase the American dream was. And now they're in Colorado. And um, I've also spent some time in both Northern and Southern California, which I think are two totally different places from each other. Yeah. And um, eventually I started traveling. So I've been around the Southeast Asia digital nomad circuit. <laughs> so yeah, I like Thailand most of the time. I didn't go to Bali um, and I've just been loving Vietnam. <laughs> And I, I bumped into Lydia in Japan last year. So yeah, I'm not, I really yeah, have been enjoying getting to see places outside of the US. I didn't even consider it until a few years ago. And now, now my mind is just so open and my world is literally open. Yeah, Krista, a lot of people have different motivations to becoming a digital nomad to traveling the world and you just said like you didn't even consider it so what was the motivator for you that had you launch into this life and now you've been on the road for you know almost four years right yeah yeah so actually i have a really weird reason or i think it's a weird reason for starting this but it was um to kind of get out of the cycle of living paycheck to paycheck. Um, I, I had a bachelor's degree, but I was 
and I was making um, like $15 per hour, but I was still struggling to like build my savings up. And, um, and so when I started freelancing, I learned more about, um, I learned more about places in Southeast Asia, like Thailand and Indonesia. And I was like, oh, so you can live a normal life <laughs> um, in these other countries for a less cost of living um, while still like building your, your assets of a business. And it just, it, it just like, my mind became obsessed with it and I made it happen. So brilliant and so true. Like I remember in Bali, my, my apartment, or I should say it's a villa with a pool and a maid was like $300 a month. And here are my friends here being New York City. My friends live in a shoebox for add $1,000 to that monthly price tag. And it's still not even a full room. It's just such a different cost of living. So that's a really cool reason why, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and in Hawaii, it's really similar. Um, it's, yeah, you're paying over $1,000, $1,500, $2,000 for like a very small thing. And I really appreciate how you can start managing your money in totally different ways. And you have a little bit more freedom than you, than you would spending most of your paycheck on an apartment. Yeah, a hundred percent. And that just reflects all of the sentiments that I would express back to people when they thought like, how are you affording this? How are you achieving this? And I'm thinking, well, I'm not paying any bills. Like I have nowhere other place that I'm tied down to. I'm working also, I'm not on a long vacation and the cost of living is so much more affordable and that's how I'm doing it. And you express that so well, especially in Southeast Asia, obviously, people become digital nomads and there can be more expensive places, but I think you get the best value in Southeast Asia for sure. And I love going back to what you said, Krista, about the most surprising thing being like the Vietnamese people. I think that was such a beautiful answer and just goes to show like the kind of person that you are and in the beauty that you see in the world around you. And that just comes from such a place like I know you as an empath and I know you describe yourself in it as an empath as somebody who's really putting yourself in other people's shoes and seeing the positives and so in that way do you consider being an empath a superpower or a stressor or both <laughs> yeah my first my first reaction to that was definitely both <laughs> <laughs> there are definitely superpowers, but I was actually talking to someone yesterday about how I still really have to manage my overthinking. So I think in this way, like being an empath can be a stressor because I have to manage how worried I am about things that I say <laughs> or how people are feeling. Um, but at the same time, it puts me in tune with the vibe of the room or how someone's doing. And um, I think that being able to like tone in or tune into how people are feeling or what the their energy is at can be a real superpower when it comes to connecting and making relationships. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. I think the hard part, I, I might not be as much of an empath as you, or maybe, I don't know, this year, I feel like I have been for better or for worse. Like, the election was crazy. And just thinking about the fact that the pandemic is affecting the entire world, like 
really weighed down on my spirit. And like, I struggled not to feel super negative this year because of the weight of the whole world. But it's really interesting, like, I guess to your point of it being both, in, in what ways would you say it's pretty stressful to feel that way? Like you mentioned being an overthinker and I completely relate to that. And like, I think I'm learning this year that sometimes you have to let go and like slow down and not worry about every potential outcome. But I mean, that's easier said than done, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it's definitely easier said than done. Um, and especially with the pandemic, yeah, like seeing lots of negative headlines. There were times where I um, was feeling was feeling down and I'd go on social media and see just bad news everywhere and I I like would feel super trapped. <laughs> um, so I think yes, like th- it being an election year and the pandemic and things that happened with George Floyd, I, it just there's so many things to like really really tune into and really care about and and I think it's a a really delicate balance as well as how are you interacting with the news or with information and um, how can you also how can you also take care of yourself so that you can do what you want to do and move forward in whatever way you choose. Yeah. You you mentioned trail running before, and I can only imagine how beautiful that is with all the paddy fields. But do you have any other sort of techniques or things that you've fallen into either this year or in the past that help you kind of tune back into yourself? Because I think it's hard when you're such an overthinker and empath. There's so much Mm. external validation and external looking like, what's going on in the world? My friends, my family, you know, how have you sort of tuned back into Krista? Yeah, so um, I have been, um, I work with a therapist like once every few months. And so she normally guides me through mindfulness and grounding exercises. So for example, if, if there's something that's happening on my phone, the first step is like just getting away from my phone and tuning into six or seven things that are around me and just bringing myself back into the present. I just, I'm listening to Jay Shetty's book, Think Like a Monk. And one of the things that he talks about in that book, oh my gosh. I have it right here. I'm reading it right now. Amazing. Oh, Oh, that's so cool. (laughs) We're like twins. (laughs) Such a synchronicity right there. (laughs) Seriously. And I've been telling... I've been telling everyone about this book and this is the first time someone's known. So I'm really excited. That's really yeah, cool. I love it. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. And oh, it's, it's really amazing. And one of the, one concept that he talks about is how he, um, I think he lived as a monk for like, or lived under monks for uh, several years and they would go on like the same walk every day. And one of the monks would say, okay, So I want you to observe something different, even on the same route that we're taking every day. And doing something like this, like just observing something new, it just really brings me back into the present. And I just finding these different ways to kind of pull myself out of whatever overthinking cycle that I'm going through, um, come back into the present and manage my view of reality. Because yeah, I, sometimes like I think that something is really important, but in my head and it 
it's because it, it is to me, <laughs> but then it's really about reminding myself like, okay, things, things are going to happen. I'm here right now. I can chill. Totally. And it's also like reminding yourself that what's in your head isn't necessarily reality, right? Like I keep writing these down. Yes. I have a bunch of post-it notes behind me that I look at and a lot of them say things like what's in your head isn't necessarily in the world. And what you think isn't yes. always real, you know, and your perspective is just yours. And yeah. Krista has one, Lid has one, I have one, everybody listening has their own. And sometimes we have synchronicities, like we're reading the same book, but <laughs> other times yeah. it's like, wait, what? And you feel like you're on a different planet from whoever you're talking to because you guys just see everything so differently. And like, that's oh, like the yes. constant struggle of life, like just remembering that no two people on this earth have the exact same experience, which is kind of crazy. It's yeah. really crazy. Yeah. And Krista, like I so relate to everything that you said too about, you know, being an empath and sometimes feeling like I carry such weight on my shoulders. And I think I've also been going through so much inner work too on like taking that pressure off and what you're both saying about, you know, these like our inner thoughts and emotions create our own reality. And so I would always also bear the burden of taking everything personally. Even if something wasn't personal, I would be so sensitive to it. And I think I just also like to go on the reading track. I finished a book called The Four Agreements. And one of the agreements is called Don't Take Things Personally. And he reinforces this notion like you're living in your own bubble. These people are living in their own bubble. You can't take, you can listen and like give people the space to say or do what they need to say. And then just remove yourself and control what you can control, which is your reaction and your thoughts. And at the end of the day, you can't control anybody else. So you have to just like take care of yourself. So on that note too, Krista, like I love how open and vulnerable you are like with us in this episode so far and just on social media, you're always dropping so many vulnerable reminders to your your followers, but also sharing your own story like time and time again and sharing what you're going through. And over the past little while here and there, you've, you've shared snippets of your stories of your journey with addiction on social media. Mm-hmm. And so I want maybe for you to kind of first tell our listeners what those addictions are and when you realize that you had these addictions. Yeah, so I think that also with living abroad, hmm, or just being human in general, (laughs) um, comes a a part of of drinking in the culture. And I think what happens with the digital nomad community is we all have so much time on our hands (laughs) um, that drinking becomes a big part of the culture and the life. And I got really caught up in that actually. Um, I was going out drinking loads of times per week. And I think that I was, hmm, I, I was, I was really re- relying on it to be bubbly Krista, to be social Krista, to be entertaining Krista who can like take care of everyone and make sure everyone is having a good time. Um, and yeah, and it was really fun. But I, I did really rely on it to like have a, have a filling, thriving life. Um, I remember a couple of years ago in 2019, we did 
dry January and I didn't even make it to the entire, like through the entire month of January. We actually did three, three weeks of dry January um, where we were not drinking to um, before we like went out drinking. And it was just, I couldn't even go a month without drinking. So I really relied on alcohol for a lot of things, including just the way, I guess the way I interacted with life or with pain and emotions. And when I began slowing down on drinking later in 2019, I really began to see how I had been outsourcing my thoughts to this depressant and how, um, yeah, and how I was experiencing pain and experiencing life and like dealing with my feelings by like drinking and going crazy and going wild. So drinking addiction has been like kind of a big part of my travel experience for sure. And also um, stepping away from drinking has now been a huge part of that experience. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And I know exactly what you mean. I think it's hard not to fall into those patterns with all the party hostels that are out there and they have a bar crawl every other night or they have happy hour at the bar that's literally attached to the place that you're sleeping. So they call alcohol a social lubricant for a reason. And like you said, digital nomads Mm -hmm. have a lot of free time and not confined to the nine to five schedules. So every day is like a Saturday. So it can be something to totally fall into and just give yourself a little bit of credit, girl, like dry January, like three weeks is better than nothing, you know, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. hard, I'm sure on the road. And that's really admirable. Have you ever had any sort of like other addictions or would you say drinking had kind of been your, your main vice for a while? Um, I think drinking was my main vice, but then I also consider these other addictions like an addiction to gaming and, and also an addiction to love as um, two addictions that I've kind of experienced because, and it's really, I think this is really tricky for people to define because it feels like you're interacting in the present. Like when I'm playing video games, I'm, it's a social thing. Um, I'm doing it in the present and I'm making a choice to do it. When I am chasing love, you know, it's a feel good thing and I'm chasing it in the present. Um, And I think it's, it's a personal decision on how you maybe define this. But um, scientists like Gabor Mate, he talks about how addiction can be like the way that you experience pain. And so um, when it comes to gaming, drinking and love, I just think about, okay, what was I, (laughs) what was I avoiding um, in order to, to experience these things or chase after these things or have these things in my life? What were you avoiding? (laughs) I think in part, and I I think it's a very complicated answer, but if I made it simplified and simple, it would be not being able to be in the present. So um, even with gaming, like when I go on a, when I go on my gaming sprees of like one month not leaving the house, it's because I'm like sad about something and I, don't want to like sit with it and experience it and do anything else. And when it, when it comes to love, um, this is a really complicated answer, but I think that it can be like, I don't know, maybe this is a, I think this is mostly a woman thing, but there are a lot of ways in which women kind of abandon themselves in order to like 
keep a man or to make a man happy. Mm-hmm. And I find myself doing this, doing this a lot and falling into this pattern a lot. I don't completely understand it, to be honest. But um, yeah, I think this is also a way for me to kind of escape the present and abandon myself without realizing it. I know exactly what you mean. I was going to actually use the word escape too, like especially with the video Mm. games because you're kind of like escaping into this alternate reality. There's some really cool imaginative landscapes. And the love one, I was thinking maybe, I don't know, I pay a lot of attention to like therapy. I like diagnose myself on Instagram all the time. Maybe it has to do with like attachment styles and having anxious attachment and wanting to, to want love and be in love. But at the same time, like you said, really beautifully not being present and just kind of focusing on like more of the idea or in a way, love is kind of like a drug yes. too, right? Like you love yeah. the feelings of that connection, but then your brain's not working properly. Like, is this a good person for me consciously? Like, am I just loving the idea of love, right? And I thought it was really interesting when you said addiction can be the way you experience pain. Do you Mm -hmm. think that love for you is a way to avoid pain, distract yourself from pain, or like help you dive deeper into those feelings of pain? Because love can be painful too. Mm. True. Um, I think that love as it has been for me so far has been a way for me to not – to not – focus on me, if that makes sense. Um, So I have been single for like only six or seven months now, but I think this is the longest that I've been single since I was 16, (laughs) which is crazy actually to think about. (laughs) Um, But it took up until now, um, just turning 29 to really to really realize that, um, I guess the way that I'm, I abandon myself, so to speak, to make men happy. In that way, it's been a way for me to not really focus on or not really think about or consider like what I want and what makes me happy. And so in that way, I think it's been me avoiding, avoiding like knowing myself and like really stepping into myself um, when it comes to partnership. I can really relate to that too, Krista. And I like just had also a recent circumstance where I felt myself triggered by somebody who kind of pulled away from me. And Mm -hmm. I found myself going back into these habits of, because the beginning was so intense and so Mm -hmm. like, it's that intensity and that passion. And I've experienced that so many times and like fallen deep into it that I let myself go where it's mm-hmm. like it's those endorphins it's that high you feel so good you feel validated and desired and those are incredible feelings to feel and then I noticed in this one I wonder if you have experienced this too or if you're you know learning more about yourself through it to not feel this way but I was just constantly needing to feel validation from these partners and I realized, mm. man, I need to feel this validation for myself. I need to do the choosing yes. for my life, <laughs> for my well-being. Yes. I need to validate myself and notice these things for myself because I can't rely on somebody else to do that, especially a romantic partner who I'm not even in a committed relationship with, you know? So yeah. I wonder if, like, has it come from a place of, like, seeking validation or feeling like you need somebody else to, you know, see that in you? Or what do you think are the roots for it or the triggers? 
Yes, I think it's definitely a part of like being 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 validated and complimented and like these like all of these like feel good feelings. Um, and I am coming to a similar. How do you say it? Yeah, I'm coming to a similar conclusion as you, Lydia. Like, I need to be able to do this for myself and to like raise myself up and. Yeah, it, it's crazy that you talk about the, the recent pull away because I think this is really common <laughs> um, when it comes to relationship styles or um, Olivia, you talked about attachment and um, I think that it's really common for women to have kind of a lean more anxious attachment, even though it's not always, and then men to lean more avoidant attachment and of course like opposites attract too so then if yeah. you are more anxious then you're going to be drawn to the avoidant attachment style but yeah it's really crazy experience because so my most recent relationship he's such a great person and human being but then we just had this weird push-pull and it doesn't make sense to me. Like, it doesn't make sense to me why, why I feel so like, why I feel so many emotions or why I also felt so, so attached. And yeah, I don't know. Love doesn't make sense to me. Can I ask you, <laughs> was he the opposite? Like not very emotional or maybe not very forthcoming with his emotions? Yeah, he, it was really difficult to kind of like break past this wall and it's really interesting too. So I don't, I don't know if you two are the same, but I like to hold my heart very close to me. Um, and then, and like, kind of like test the water, see what's going to happen. And, um, and then after a certain point, I'm like, okay, this is, this is what I want. It's cool. And so I really started to like open myself up when he like passed certain tests or whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I think that really actually also scared him or made him feel unsafe. Um, and so it was, it was a really difficult the year. tests or the depth of your feelings after he passed these tests. Mm, the, the depth of the feelings or like, yeah, I, yeah, I think, yeah, getting to the point where it was like, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to move forward. Like, it's been a few months, what's happening? And that really, it really, it took, it took another three months to like, get him to be like, okay, this is cool. Yeah, but I think the idea of commitment just like makes his head explode or something. <laughs> being held accountable as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true for a lot of people in our generation, right? It's like the grass is always greener on the other side. And like, I, I learned about something new recently called relationship OCD and that shit hit different. Like Ooh. I was like, Oh my God, it's basically just having intense anxiety about relationships and obviously yeah. OCD, which I've never really self-diagnosed as, but just constantly wondering, like, is this person right for me? Like, God forbid you're not sexually attracted to them one day. Your brain spirals and thinks, oh, my God, they're wrong for me. I need someone else. And it's just, like, really toxic. And I was telling my mom mm -hmm. about it, and she's like, I think this is a millennial thing. Like, this did not used <laughs> oh. to exist because we have so many choices, you know, like, yes. all of the time.
but I'm yeah, super fascinated to get back into the addiction stuff. Yeah. Um, when it comes to, when it comes to love addiction or even like feeling, feeling that push pull dynamic, I would recommend a, a few books. I really like, um, facing love addiction by Pia Melody and codependent no more by Melody Beattie, which isn't about relationships, but it is about not being, well, it's about not being present and to like about over giving to other people and like really returning to yourself. <clears throat> and one more is Women Who Love Too Much. And this was the book that I read this year that I, um, really changed my whole perspective and really made me feel not alone. <laughs> um, and kind of helped me realize that the um, avoidant man or whatever, is a lot more common than just like in my world. <laughs> yes, girl. Yeah. They're taught not to express their emotions. And I was talking to my therapist the other day about like how I think a lot of the times women default to sadness, like we cry and we, we feel, but actually it's oftentimes a mask for anger because I always associate anger mm. with like, you know, rage and intensity and like usually a guy or violence. And it's the opposite for men, right? Like they yeah. tend to resort to violence or anger, sorry, but they're actually masking sadness because men are taught not to cry and to be tough. So yeah, mm. it's really interesting. Um, I wrote, wrote those titles down for sure. I'd be curious, Krista, like as you're talking about some of these really interesting and, and meaningful addictions, and thank you for being so vulnerable with us. Do you think like addiction or I guess there's such a thing as an addictive personality or is that more just like a myth and anyone could really be susceptible to having these addictions? Um, yeah, I'm not sure from a scientific standpoint, but I think that I feel like addiction is a very human thing and maybe we are more addicted to things than we can realize and it's only stepping away from those things that will we would get that perspective yes Lydia's holding up her phone and yes like there's a just a a massive way that we are addicted to things that yeah, we don't necessarily realize. Sorry, I had to throw my phone up there because that was the first example. As soon as you said we're addicted to more things than we realize, I was like, yes, like our phones. And even after yeah. just watching The Social Dilemma on Netflix like a couple months ago, it rang home. And I noticed this year and I've had to self-manage how much I use my phone. And it's so hard. And I'm like, it's because you're it addicted to your phone, Lydia. Like you're addicted mm. to this, like this hit. And so I've tried to turn off like notifications on every app. I've had tried to delete okay. some apps off my phone too, like just having some sense of control. But yeah, I, I think there's like, especially with technology, I think probably most of us can fall more susceptible to it because it's created for us to be addicted to it. Yes, mm -hmm. constant notification rush, those dopamine hits. <laughs> Do you think you check more or less now that you took the notifications off? Because I think I check more certain things like Instagram because I don't have notifications. It's like I lose both times. <laughs> I think I check less definitely because if I saw like a red message alert on Facebook, on my messenger or even on WhatsApp, then I would always check. Whereas now it doesn't feel, at least it doesn't feel as urgent because I'm not blared with 
the immediate sense of, oh, I have to check this. And I think I've tried to do work similar to even going back to what Krista said about being in the present moment. And I've been on, you know, a huge journey in the past couple of years, but even more so in the past few months of definitely going back to meditating every single day and releasing this sense of urgency with everything, with love, with relationships, yes. with checking messages, with work, because I realized I think I was addicted to work and fueling this like need to feel productive and need to people please the people that I work for. And I would be working at ridiculous hours and trying to feel pressure of getting back to people within the same day. And I've just tried mm. to really release this sense of urgency as if like any of these things don't depend on my life. My well, mm. my life depends on, you know, not doing these things or my well-being, I should say, not my life and, and my sanity depends on not doing these things. So yeah. And from what I've read on addiction, Krista, I understand that once an addiction is removed, so whether it's for you gaming or drinking or love, there's a void in its place, right? So when you've removed these addictions from your life, what has been your way of coping? Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, so I think it's, it was up until like five months ago, <laughs> um, a cycle of gaming, drinking and love. Um, like after after a breakup or whatever I would either drink to to just you know like okay like now it's time to drink or play video games now I'm trying to do healthy things <laughs> like journal I journal every day now and also running I am kind of addicted to running so <laughs> I run pretty regularly and um, I think this is my way of actually also being in the present and doing something for myself. This is, I, th I hope this is healthy. I think this is healthy. But yeah, I found running to be a way for me to be in the present and to like be with myself. I choose running over a lot of things. Like I, I, it's my priority during the day. And Whereas I would normally maybe say, like, normally maybe agree to something, I've chosen this year to choose running first. Like, okay, I'll go on my run and then I'll meet with you to do this. That sounds healthy. I think we, I mean, everything in moderation, right? And I think we often fall too far into the camp of like, I mean, I do self-diagnosis. Oh my God, everything's wrong with me. I just told you guys I have relationship OCD, which I learned about like three days ago. But um, yeah, I think it's really interesting. Like addiction is definitely strong and powerful and real in so many people. But I mean, is it an addiction? Like addiction, I feel like is a word with a negative stigma. I don't know if you guys would agree, but at least the way that I view it or society is viewing it, you don't have to say you're addicted to running. You're passionate about running. And as long as you're not, you know, running to the point of, I don't know, like, not being physically fit, more <laughs> frail, then I think it's super mm. healthy, right? Like, I guess it's about finding that balance of when is too much? When does it feel like you, you need to stop? That's a good point. Mm. I guess the answer is different for everyone. I don't know. And that goes back mm. to what we we're saying, like with perspective, right? Like one person's addiction is another person's hobby. I, yeah. I was super triggered this year by the concept of addiction because I think a lot of people and no judgment like during the pandemic have resorted towards drugs and alcohol 
to kind of like cope, right? And I mean, let's get real. This year was extremely difficult for all of us. And Mm -hmm. I found myself to be extra triggered by like all my friends smoking weed every night and like getting drunk and then just like casually doing Molly on the weekends. I'm like, why? We're in your apartment. Like as, as some form of escapism, but yeah. I also realized who the hell am I to judge? I did the opposite mm-hmm. and like overanalyzed everything and intellectualized mm-hmm. my emotions, which is just as unhealthy. Like that's my addiction, you know? Yeah. <laughs> the overthinking. Yeah. Would you agree that there's maybe a negative stigma associated with that word? With overthinking or with, with addiction? addiction? Yeah, or both, but definitely addiction. Oh. Yes, there's definitely a negative stigma associated with the word. I think it makes it really hard to talk about, which um, which is really unfortunate because like we were talking about earlier, we're addicted to things in more ways than we realize. I think that it should be normal to talk about these things, to talk about our experiences and what we're feeling so that we can just have these discussions and like grow as a community. I've posted a lot about how I've stopped drinking. I posted some, I don't know, Facebook posts and some articles on Medium. And it's opened up so many conversations about people who are surrounded by drinking and they're getting tired of the hangovers or their body isn't dealing with the alcohol in the same way. And I think it's really difficult for some people to even start that conversation because of the negative stigma. No one wants to be called an addict. But I think it's a very, it's also a very human way to deal with life. Mm -hmm. So Krista, where are you currently in your journey with these three addictions, would you say? I have completely eliminated drinking from my life, which I'm super proud of. And it's really, it's really empowering to be able to do things that I thought, like, I thought I needed that social lubricant. I thought I needed that liquid courage. Um, And yeah, turns out I don't. (laughs) When it comes to gaming, I am really trying to play games in moderation. Yeah, I'm trying to to limit my time playing games and I also try to make it make sure that it's social so that I'm playing with friends back home or yeah and just live a little bit more balanced and when it comes to love I have really made improvements I think this year to figure out what's most important to me and figure out like who I am and what I love doing and what gives me happiness as an individual autonomous human being for example like I'm journaling every day and I'm running every day and um, I do ballet once a week and I'm figuring out these pieces of my individuality that are so essential um, so that the next time I start dating someone, I can have like better clues as to like, okay, am I abandoning myself? Am I choosing this other person instead of my run? Am I going to ballet classes less often and trying to be more in tune with these parts of me um, that I think are essential to my individual happiness? So beautifully said. And I think as you were mentioning earlier, the book about codependency it made me think again that like there's this tendency, like most people probably don't even really pay attention to codependency or really know what it is and fall into the trap. But then I think there's the balance, right? Like, cause when you do start to learn about it, 
I know, again, this is probably a millennial trait to over-diagnose ourselves and be like, oh no, I'm so codependent. And I found this really good mm, yeah. Insta therapist called Your Diagnonsense. And he like <laughs> basically shits on the whole industry. And he's like, look, codependency, like I want you guys to get that word out of your vocab because actually mm. you need to be dependent on your partner. That's why you have a partner. And so mm. I think we're, we're kind of coming into a theme here, right? It's like, balance like it's beautiful that you said Krista you want to work on yourself and like figure out who you are first before you can enter a relationship sounds super healthy and strong because they say it's like a triangle right like you me and us and if you don't have all three figured out that relationship ain't gonna work but at the same time it's like okay us is part of the triangle so it's okay to depend on the partner and like open your heart in a way that I don't know I think our ADHD brains are just like, ah, oh, no, swipe, 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 next. You know? <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Do you feel a lot stronger now after having gone through like some of the things that you've just described and come out on the other end, so to speak? Yes, definitely. Um, I, I feel this new appreciation for life as well. For a long time, I used to just be like, okay, yeah, I'm okay to like die early, whatever, like 40s, 50s, 60s. Now that I am focusing more on my physical health and just enjoying life in different ways, like trail running, dancing, whatever, um, I've also gained an appreciation for my own life. I'm like being extra cautious about my safety in ways that I didn't care about before, thinking about life in the long term. Um, It's weird. I'm taking care of myself in like really different ways. And I think that it is in part because I have learned to appreciate life in a totally different way. I don't know how to explain it. Yeah. I mean, I can relate to that too. And, but I I also want to question what had you thinking that you were okay with ending your life short before, like, where did that mindset stem from? Like you said, oh, even up to the forties. And I'm thinking, 40s, oh my gosh, that's like so soon. We still have a long way ahead of us for sure in our 20s, but. Yeah, um, I think that it was in part that I didn't realize like how awesome life is <laughs> up until maybe the past year. Um, just because in the past year, I've really like experience life in different ways that um, has really given me this like euphoria which is it's crazy to really think about the difference but yeah I think it stemmed from a little bit of maybe maybe sadness and not totally feeling whole or complete Um, and then just being indifferent to just being indifferent about what happens but now I care a lot more about what happens. I'm so happy for you. And wow, what a year for you to like realize this, like a pandemic year. True. And a year when all of these other things in the world are kind of actually bringing people a lot, a lot of us into our shadows, you know, and that's really important, I think as well. And that's normal and completely, you know, part of the human experience and human journey. But also, I feel like this is less common for people to say what you're saying and say it with such confidence. So I mean, I'm so happy for you Krista that you know you're in this state of life where you're excited and I mean I'm thankful because I value you and your life so much too and I think the world is better with you in it so that makes me just you know so excited for you and happy for you 
Thank you. Yeah, and and I did face my my shadows earlier this year as well. I think everyone has, and I'm I do consider myself super fortunate to be in Vietnam, where um, it's open and I can lean on my community in ways that I wouldn't be able to back in the U.S. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I I went through uh, facing my shadows this year. Um, and I think that it was also learning how to deal with my shadows in a healthy way that helped me even get to this point. Envisioning what a happy, happy me would be um, and paying attention to what makes me happy. Journaling and following through on some of my plans were a big part of me um, getting to this point. That's really incredible. And I think um, so true that you guys are both saying about like, this is the year of uncovering the shadow. And like, I think they say cyclically, you go through years of like intense activity and then periods of pause. And this is obviously like a huge collective pause. But I, I like to use this analogy sometimes about, I guess, sort of related to this or more the therapy conversation, like how we all have skeletons in our closet. And at first, like when I first started going to therapy years ago, I was like, okay, I opened the door and now I see these bones and my job is to throw them out. Like, fuck these bones. I don't want them anymore. But then only like, I think this year did I start to realize, "Mm, no, they're never going to go away. How do you learn to embrace them and live with them and accept them, but not be the kind of person that has that door wide open all the time. Let me tell you all my problems. And also not be the kind of person who leaves it locked shut, which I think most people are, and they pretend they're Mm -hmm. never there and manifest it through, you know, addiction as we were talking about or God knows what else. But I don't know. It's a bit of a process. It's a self-love journey and it's one day at a time, I think. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. It's about finding the balance that makes you, I think a balance that makes you happy because my balance would be different than your balance. And yeah. Yeah, and like journaling, I think people underestimate it because journaling has always been the place where I've also uncovered my shadow self, done a lot of digging, healing, and come out the other side. Like if I point out to most like moments of my life, it's always been my journal. (laughs) So um, (laughs) yeah, for like if you haven't tried journaling, definitely give it a go. (laughs) It's very cathartic and it opens up a lot, but then it brings you closer to yourself and understanding yourself, like you're saying, Krista, and like learning more about, yeah, what makes you happy, who you are, what you need, what you value, you know, all these things. And then I think you can live more in alignment and then embrace life a whole lot more and be able to cope with the bones in your closet in a much healthier way. Um, Because those are always going to come up. Like you said, Olivia, too, like you can't just, oh, here's like, lock it up, throw away the key. Like they're always going to come up. (laughs) Yeah, like there's going to be yes. hard moments that we don't know about. But it's, if, if we establish these tools, and especially in times less in times of crises in our lives, then we'll be better off, I think, at the end of the day. We're more and we're resilient that Ooh. way. You know? And like just your journey with all of this, Krista, I think proves to that. It does. I think, you know, on, on that note, it'd be interesting to have you like reflect if you could go back to talk to your, you know, past self. What would you say to that past Krista? I think at the end of the day, um, one of my main issues, if I look at um, all of my own addictions, like 
it stems from a place of low self-confidence so i would i would definitely um just try to build past krista's confidence up and um i don't know what words exactly i would say but just encouraging words to like really figure out how to build confidence like i guess like a reminder like oh you know like you can be charismatic and bubbly without without anything else and that kind of stuff yeah and tell her it gets better right yeah absolutely love it so krista what are you most because you're so excited about life what are you <laughs> most curious about right now or what are some of the things you're you know most interested in learning about right now i think <laughs> I'm interested in learning about loads of things. One of the things that I am really excited about learning about is, well, a little about history. For example, history of the Pacific specifically. Um, and I'm interested in sharing more about the sharing more about the history of the Pacific because it's not something that's really covered in American history yet. About 50% of the Americans who I meet don't know where Guam is or what Guam is. So I consider it a part of my mission to kind of first learn and then also educate others about the American presence in the Pacific, which is huge. And Cool. And what else would you say you're curious about, I guess, beyond in a intellectual context? Like, is there anything you have with next year on the horizon? Um, at the time we're recording this in December 2020, so really a <laughs> introspective moment. Um, anything you're looking yeah. forward to for next year? Um, I'm looking forward to running more trails. <laughs> I'm, I'm obsessed in beautiful places and yeah I think I'm most excited about experiencing traveling as a trail runner I think this is also why I've really just fallen deeply in love with Vietnam is um, getting to go on these trails like through villages on mountains and experience the country in a completely different way Love it. You've inspired me. I think one of my intentions next year, I've wanted to give running a fair chance because I feel like I haven't ever given it a fair chance. And I've always had these self-limiting beliefs about it and my, the way my body can handle it. But I've become like a lot more physically active this year and had a much more consistent exercise routine. So, and then my mindset has changed about exercising a lot more. So I think you know, Krista, you might just be the person and this conversation might just be what launches me into a year of more running. Yeah. And so we want to end kind of with our pinnacle title, Krista, and answer it however feels right to you right now. But who are you really? Um, I would say that I am a dancer, um, runner. And I am really passionate about, about sharing and storytelling. And that's all packaged into this Pacific Islander, Asian American human being who lives in Vietnam. Who's not related to Steve Aoki, but maybe secretly. <laughs> well said. Yes. Krista, it was amazing getting to know you. Um, you mentioned a few really interesting places. You exist on the interwebs, Medium, Instagram. 
Um, is there anywhere in particular in case anyone wants to get in touch with you, a la me, so we can be friends, um, <laughs> what would be the best spot so that people can keep tabs on you and connect with you if they hear this? Yeah, um, so the best spot would definitely be on Instagram, um, and it's just my first and last name, Krista with a K. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Krista. This was a dream having you on. You're such a lovely human being, and we're so grateful for all of the perspective. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Who Are You Really? We'll be back next Thursday. Same time, same place. You can listen to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. In the meantime, you can find us on Instagram at Who Are You Really Podcast. Or feel free to join our Facebook group, The Humans of Who Are You Really, to connect to some of the people who have been on air and other deep thinkers and feelers. If you liked this episode and want to continue listening, please subscribe and leave us a review. We'd love to hear your thoughts and stories. Until next time, sending love to you wherever you are.